For those of you who have been traveling with us, you know that today is the last uh, day in our series called Follow. And uh, I'll tell you, this, this series has been one of my favorites, and it is just the sum of what my life's about right now. I'm reading books on it, and it's, it's consuming me. But it's this idea of what does it mean to really follow Jesus? What does it look like to be a Christ follower? And if you were here from the beginning, you remember the very first message was this, this message that, that we could follow Jesus. That Jesus, when he came down, he, he believed that we could do what he was doing. That he wasn't way up here, but that he literally showed us a pattern for how we could live our lives and invited us to come and follow him. Then the week after that, we learned that following him wasn't just like, you know, just saying, son, you're going to go to a movie for the day. But that there was a cost. That you had to really think through this decision that, that following him you know, would, was going to change your life in many ways for the better and sometimes for the worse. And you had to put all that stuff together. Then the week after that, we talked about how following him means you make a decision. That you just don't fall into it. That is a time of almost like a courtship where you're dating. And then there hits this point where you decide whether or not you're going to marry Jesus. Whether or not you're going to truly follow him. And you cross over that line. And then the week after that, we learned about the Holy Spirit. We learned that, that following Jesus isn't just like, say, I'm going to put some practical things into, into practice in my life. And I'm going to use these principles. But that he actually gives you this down payment on heaven. That he gives you something called the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, that reminds you of his words, that guides you into situations where you can engage in the work of God. That you will actually experience this. Well, this week is the last week. And this week is all about the very purpose and mission that we are to be doing. What are, once you become a follower of his, then what is your life about? And what we find out is that our mission is to invite others to follow. If we have stepped into this role, if we have tasted what it is like to follow Jesus, then we're to invite others to go and experience what, what we're already experiencing. In fact, this was so important to Jesus that as the very last thing that he said before he ascended into heaven, very last words of Jesus, he says to his disciples, those that were following him, had followed him for the last three years, he said, all of you guys that had followed me, he said, I want you now to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And disciples is just another word for somebody who is following Christ. And we get our, our word evangelism from all of this. In fact, the Greek word for evangelism is euangelion. And uh, if you looked and broke that down, literally what evangelism means is, is the u part is good, and the angelion or angelo is literally messenger. In fact, we get our English word angel from angelo. And so when you go out and you just become a messenger for this good news about Jesus, you're really an angel in somebody else's life. But I think for most of us, when we hear that word evangelism, it's, it's just some awkwardness, you know, some hesitation. Either one, we've had somebody try to evangelize, evangelize us in the past, and it was a bad experience, or else we're worried that we're going to have to be forced to go out and evangelize others, and it doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. But the question that we want to look at today is, how do you go about doing this? Jesus commanded that we go and do it. So how do we do this? 
I mean, in some ways, don't you almost feel like, oh, we've been telling you this wonderful thing about how it is to follow Jesus. And you've been, it's like you're sitting over for dinner at somebody's house, and they're just sharing this amazing thing to you. And then they get up from the dinner, and they, they pop out this flip chart, and they pull it back like this and say, hey, if you go out and you tell 10 people, and then those 10 people tell 10 people, and then maybe if you get a little cut of maybe 1% of the tithe, you know, we got ourselves a pyramid scheme here, right? And doesn't it kind of feel like that sometimes? All right, we're going to go and obey what Jesus said. How do you do this? Should we make up some signs that say the world is ending and we go down to, to downtown Raleigh and just yell it from the top of our lungs? Or here, Maybe here's a better idea, a little more practical. Um, how about we get you a bunch of tracks and you pick a Sunday, you come and, and just wear your nicest you know, suit with a tie and, and bring a bike. And we're going to send you out two by two with these tracks. And you just go into your neighborhood and knock on these doors. Right? Maybe you could go and say to them, hey, if you died today, do you know where you'd be going? It could be your opening line as you go door to door. All right, maybe you don't want something that, that, that's that invasive. I got a better idea. How about we get um, the Raleigh phone book and we just start tearing out sections. We divide this up. You go home and just start making cold calls. And do it about 6 p.m. at night so you know that people are home, they're eating dinner. And just share the love of Christ with them. Right? How do we go about doing this? You know, I, I have some of these feelings that when I was a kid, the idea of inviting somebody to my church, just, yeah, I didn't want to do that. I didn't think that they really wanted what was here. I wasn't sure that I wanted what was here. And, and I just, I didn't want to go out and do this. But see, it shouldn't be that way. Telling other people about Jesus should be something that's easy, almost just natural. It just flows from, from the experience that you've had with him and how good that has been. And then you're just sharing that love with others because you care about them and you want to see them experience the same thing that you are. You know, when we talk about God, most of the time in the Bible, it's, he's, God's referred to in the masculine. Now, God is not necessarily a male, but he's referred to as, as God the Father, right? And there's all this imagery. But did you know that there's actually imagery of God as, in the feminine, as God as maternal? Listen to what Jesus uh, says when he looks out over Jerusalem, and he's got this message of hope for them. Listen to what, what comes out of his mouth. He says, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You see, it's out of the love that, that Jesus has for others that he wants to draw them into to what he is. It's because life in him is so good and is so fulfilling and is so amazing. It's because Jesus said that he didn't come. They said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when you start following me, it's not a hard thing. It's an easy thing. It, it re- gives you freedom and removes uh, the barriers in your life and begins to open you into new excitement and adventures and purpose and meaning. And it's out of that that you're telling others flows. I mean, this stuff is natural. I mean, you go out to a nice restaurant and you have a, a meal that tastes great price was reasonable the service was impeccable what do you do don't you go and tell your neighbors and your co-workers what a great experiences you had because you want them to experience the same thing or you find a mechanic who who shoots you straight 
and tells you, hey, you really don't need this part. I could do this little quick fix and it's going to be fine as opposed to charging you the $250, you know, $500 to replace the whole thing. What do you do? You go and tell your friends and neighbors that you found somebody who's, who's going to shoot them straight. You pass that along because you care about other people. See, this stuff is only natural. And so we want to look at how you do this. What are some very practical steps that you can put into place, things that you can do to share this, this love, this experience of following Christ with others? And so we're going to go to God's word. And if you don't have a Bible, I want you to raise your hand right now. We're going to have our ushers come by and they'll see you. They're going to give you a Bible. This is yours to take. And uh, even though this is, is God's word, I want to invite you to write in it. I mean, if you went through my Bible right now, you'd see all kinds of different verses underlined. And if you're, if you're opening it up right now, you can open up to a book called Colossians. And Colossians is really not a book. It's a letter that a man named Paul, who planted churches early on in the first century, this was a church he planted in Coloss, and it's him just writing a letter to the folks in Coloss, and he wants to tell them in this letter how to share the good news, their experiences of Christ with those around them. Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am now in chains. Pray that I may, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Really what Paul lays out in there, in, in the big picture, is Paul is saying, just be yourself. Just be yourself. You know, Jesus, when he described what would happen, what this process of, of sharing the good news was like. You, talk, you heard last week about the Holy Spirit and how it gives you power. Well, Jesus says, you know, he's, gonna, he's referring right now to that time when they're going to receive it. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you, once you've received this gift of the Holy Spirit, will become my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Do you hear what Jesus says? In essence, what he said there was be yourself. Be a witness. Now, what does a witness do? If you saw an accident, or God forbid you saw some other more heinous crime, and, and the police found out about it, they're going to ask you to come and tell your story, right? They're going to ask you to be a witness. Now, when you are invited to be a witness and you walk in the courtroom, do you have to have a really strong idea and, and sense of previous court history? Do you need to be able to cite court history, you know, so-and-so versus so-and-so? No. Do you need to have a firm background of, of what the law is about? Do you need to be able to explain motive or, or, you know, the other scenarios that are occurring in there? No, you don't need to do any of that stuff. In fact, they don't want you to do that. What do they want you to do if you're called to be a witness? You just tell your story, right? You just tell them exactly what you saw or you tell them what you did not see and you don't go above that and you don't go beyond that. The word witness in, in, the, in the Greek is martureo. We get one word martyr from that and, and sometimes martyrs end up having to give their life 
and, and witness of, of what they've experienced. But there's another word we get. It's a French word. It's called marquee. In fact, we are in the marquee cinema. And, and what a marquee is is simply a billboard. It's a billboard, a sign. It doesn't go out and do anything. It just is broad and is seen and tells what it is. That's what a marquee is. And that is all that we are called to be. You know, I love the, the scriptures because the more that you read these, the more you're going to realize that nobody could make this stuff up. I mean, it's just, it's so goofy at times and the stories in here are so true to life that you know this is true. There's this one story of Jesus and um, he's, he's walking along and there is this blind beggar. This man had been blind from the very beginning, you know, from the time he was born. And that's the way he lived his life. He, you know, he couldn't do anything, so he was a beggar. And Jesus comes over to him and Jesus spits on the ground. He makes a little bit of mud, puts it on this guy's eyes, and then has the guy go and wash his eyes in the, in the pool, in a pool that was nearby. Well, he does this, and the man can see. And so he's walking around, right? And other people, they see him. They say, hey, isn't that, that blind guy over there? They say, oh, no, no, that's not the blind guy, because the blind, blind, blind guy is blind, and that guy can see. So it looks like the blind guy. So they go over and they ask him. They say, hey, are you the blind guy, the beggar? And he says, yeah, I used to be the blind beggar, but now I can see. Jesus opened my eyes. Like, no way. So they go and they tell the Pharisees. Pharisees were the teachers of the law. And the Pharisees hear about this, and they've heard a little bit about this Jesus character. And then they find out that Jesus healed them on the Sabbath, which was a big no-no, because you're not supposed to do good days, good, good things on Sunday. Sunday's a day for just, you know, sitting at home doing nothing. And so they go and they, they ask this guy, and they say, hey, what happened to you? Came to Jesus, Jesus healed me. No, Jesus couldn't have done that. Where's your mom? Where's your mom and dad? Okay, so they go find his mom and dad. They say, hey, is this your son? Yeah, that's our son. Was he born blind? Yeah, he was born blind. Why is it that he can see now? Uh, well, we don't know. You, you ought to ask him. Because they didn't want to get in trouble with these Pharisees, right? So then they go back to the guy again. And they say, listen, this Jesus guy, we know he's a sinner. By now, our blind man, who was blind, I can see, he's getting a little frustrated. And this is what he says. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. See, this guy, he's out there. He doesn't even know. He's, he doesn't have theological background of who Jesus is. He's not able to explain uh, the Trinity. He's not able to quote uh, prophecies about the coming Messiah and how Jesus fulfilled those. All this guy says is, I had an experience with Jesus. Here's where I was. Here is what happened. And here's where I'm at now. That's all a witness is. And that's all you have to do. Is just tell your story. Just be a witness to what God has done in your life. Don't go above that and go, don't go beyond that. Now, besides being yourself, as you do this, you do need to be a little bit prepared. Okay? In fact, Paul, we just heard him, he says, be wise Make the most of every opportunity. And, and Paul, his ministry was to those who were Gentiles, those who were not of, of Jewish origin. But there was another one, Peter, who was kind of Jesus' right-hand man, one of his right-hand disciples. Now, Jesus, or Peter's ministry was to those who are the, the nation of Israel, to Jews. And Peter, he says the same thing. Listen to what he says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Some of them, hey, there's something different about you. Be prepared to be able to give them an answer when they're asking what's going on in your life. Why are you so different? 
But do this with gentleness and respect. This is really... In fact, um, one of the great uh, preachers of our time is a man named Bill Hybels. And he wrote this book called Just Walk Across the Room. And it is a great book. I encourage you to go out and read it if you want to st- learn a little bit more about, uh, about how to share your faith. But one of the things he says in there is just keep it to 100 words. Now see, me, when I first started out, I mean, I just, I'm kind of a talker anyways. And so I would start out saying, well, you know, I was born in St. Louis, and I lived there for nine years, and I had this experience in Sunday school, and then we moved to this place, and then we went to this church, and then I went over here in high school and kind of wiggled off this way, then went to college, read this book, had this experience, then I went over and had this experience over in college, and, and by this point, the person's saying, why did I ask? Or they're saying, I didn't ask. But, but either way, you know, you don't have to give this big, long, drawn-out thing. Keep it short and simple. Now, here's what I can tell you, is that there was a time in my life that I was actually very successful, and things were clicking in my life, but yet there was something missing. And so I started reading here in God's Word, and I read these things that Jesus said. And I said, if, if these are really true, then this is the most important thing in the world, and I have to devote the rest of my life to being a follower of his. And since I have done that, I have experienced a peace in my life. I have a joy that when circumstances come around me, they, they can't take away that joy. And I have found purpose and meaning and adventures that I are beyond my wildest dreams in following Christ. Now that right there was probably more than 100 words. But it just shows you how simple that can be. You don't have to have all these these grandiose things. You don't have to dig into some type of doctrinal theological issue. Keep it short. Keep it simple. You know what? You don't have to use words either. Remember what Paul said? Be wise in the way you act. You in yourself are a living witness. And people are going to ask when they see you just kind of living this stuff out. And so find opportunities to love other people and to engage and to treat them the way Jesus would have treated them. Teach people about Jesus without ever speaking a word. But did you catch what, what Peter said, those last, that last sentence there? He says, when you're out there and you're prepared and you're, you're giving this stuff out there, do it with gentleness and respect. That's a very important thing. That means when you go out and you're teaching other people, you're not going to go out there and nag them. You're not going to just keep bugging them to come to your church until they, they, they you know, start to run away when they see you. All right? You're not going to be a bully. You're not going to try to force it down their throat. Don't do any of that. I can remember one of my first experiences. I'm so fired up. I just, you know, I read this stuff, and, and my life is starting to change. And uh, I had a friend in high school. His name was Jeff. And uh, just, Jeff was on my heart. And he was going to a different college at the time, uh, in the same state, though. Easy to drive there. And I said, okay, I need to have a talk with Jeff. So I went out and I bought a Bible. And then I bought like two or three other books that would help Jeff with the Bible. And I went through and I started highlighting these different phrases in this Bible. And uh, I gave Jeff a call and said, hey, Jeff, what are you doing? He says, oh, you know, not much, doing whatever. And I said, man, it'd be good for us to get together. And he says, why don't you come on down? Poor old Jeff didn't realize what he had just done there. Because I wasn't just coming to hang out with Jeff for the weekend. 
I was coming with my Bible and a couple other books with it and some fire and brimstone and, and probably a little bit more after that. And so I show up there, right, and hang out with Jeff. And I say, Jeff, i got to show you something. And I whip out this Bible and I whip out these other books. And he's looking at me like, okay, yeah. All right, that's, all right, that's good. You ready to go with us? We're going to go pick up the keg for tonight. <laughs> like, oh, Jeff. Let me talk to you. I got to show you something else, something else in here. And I start going through all this stuff. And I'm telling you here, I'm looking at Jeff. And I'm just thinking, oh, I just hate this. Because I can tell this is not working. And I'm just, you know, Jesus said that when you follow him, you got to pick up your cross and suffer. And I guess this is what he meant, is that you got to go and tell other people about him. And, it's, you know, and Jeff is sitting there just going like, oh, my goodness, what have I just run into? And this was just a terrible experience all the way around, okay? And quite frankly, I, I think that in some ways I might have burned some bridges with Jeff from that point. But I look at this and I say, well, what do you do? Like if, if you don't go in there and you don't be bold and you don't come right out like that, what's the other option? That you just sit there and do nothing? I mean, isn't there something in between? I mean, even Paul said that, you know, yeah, you're going to be gentle and respectful, but you, you just, you got to make sure that it's seasoned with salt. You got to tell people the truth. You got to have moments where you are bold. You see, I think that as important as this message is, as important as it is the truth that, that if Jeff never were to accept and never were to follow him, that Jeff were to get exactly what he wanted, which was to do his own thing, to live a life separated from God, and he could do that for eternity, as terrible as that is, I made one really big mistake. See, I thought that everything depended on me. I thought that, that all of Jeff's hope came down to me in that one moment on that one specific day. And you see, that's not the case. See, we have to be aware that God is at work in all of these things. God loves Jeff a lot more than I love Jeff. And God had things that he was doing long before I ever came into the picture. And he's got things that he wants to do long after I'm gone. And when Paul was out there planning these churches, he would go in there and he would tell people. He would invite other people to follow Jesus. Then Paul would go to another community and he would invite those folks to follow. Well, then other people would come in and, and especially those that were, were you know, starting to really understand what this was all about and they started teaching others. And so this one guy named Apollos came to this church in Corinth after Paul had been there and Apollos starts to preach and teach. And here's the thing about Apollos is Apollos is a preacher. I mean, this is a guy who gets up and he's fluid and he's smooth and he's relevant. And there were some folks that were like, you know, Apollos is just, I mean, he's the bomb. I mean, he's the man. And others were like, you know what? I think Paul's the man. I mean, Paul's the one who first brought it here and Paul was like in your face. I mean, he, you know, Paul just laid it out there. I don't know. I, I kind of like Apollos. Well, Paul gets wind of this stuff, right? And so Paul writes the letter, this letter to the, this church in, Coloss, or in, in Corinth. And, uh, and this is what he says to him. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. 
Those guys aren't anything. Paul, Paulos, nothing. But only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Isn't that a cool passage? I mean, do you just, you just feel the weight lifting when you hear that? That it's not all about us? That God is building his church? You know, that God is working his field? And that he just is including us at the specific times that he wants to include us? You see, what that means is that there are times when you're going to run into somebody who is a negative 10, and you just need to get them to a negative 8. Now, let's say that zero is crossing that line where they just they become a follower of Christ. Well, the reason they're at a negative 10 is that they probably had a terrible experience in a church. And if somebody said, you know what, you're just not good enough, and you know Jesus doesn't want this kind of riffraff in our church, and here's what you need to do. You need to step through all these hoops to be able to, to, to you know, be close to him. And they, they're turned off, you know. In fact, the first thing, if, you, if they find out that you're a Christ follower, you've got a couple marks against you already. And why, my wife and I had an experience not long ago. You know, we do in-home daycare, and we were interviewing different folks, and they found out that I was a pastor. And even worse, my wife was a, a pastor's wife. And they're just, you know, it, you could tell this was an issue. We had to have, it had some questions for us in the process. And you see, in moments like that, you just got to get them from a negative 10 to a negative 8. They just have to have one positive experience with a Christ follower, right? That, that's not the time to be whipping out the plan of salvation on a napkin. You just, they need to have one positive experience. But the, there's going to be this time when God is working in somebody's life and they've had some other experiences with Christ followers and then they end up meeting up with you at the gym and you guys have a conversation and you just start to share your life and they're asking you questions about it because God has put either a crisis or whatever else in their life and it's in that moment that they ask you and you lay it out and they make a decision for Christ and they cross over from being a negative one to a positive one. And you're there for that moment. Or there's going to be other times where you run into somebody who, who's just accepted Christ and they're starting to check this thing out. And it's your task to take them from a four to a six because you've had certain experiences or you put into practice certain things. And that's going to be your role in that moment. You know, my, uh, my grandfather had this garden. That's where I used to hang out when I was a kid and uh, had a peach tree out there. And about a month or two from now, you're going to start to see these, these peaches form. And they're going to look like peaches. And they're going to be fuzzy like peaches. And about the same size as peaches. And I can remember going over to those peaches and grabbing one of them and just pulling on it. And I was like, okay, it's not kind of given. And so I said, I can solve this problem. I just yanked on that thing. I'm telling you, I took off the whole branch. All right? I mean, there was like, like three or four other peaches on there that came with it still stuck to the branch. I finally pulled that thing off of the branch and I, I bit into it. And you know what that peach tasted like? I mean, it was the most sour, bitter taste you've ever experienced. And the rest of those peaches were shot. And I'd ruined the whole, whole you know, bunch there because I went out and tried to force something that wasn't there rather than waiting on God to take his time for the water for the nutrients, for the sunlight, to get to that one moment where that peach just drops in your hand and it's sweet and it's right and it's full of fruit. That's what God is calling each one of us to do. 
It's like we're on an assembly line. And when the person comes along, we just got to play our part, whatever it is. And thankfully, you have a guide because you've got that Holy Spirit that's going to prompt you at different times. Just as it's drawing people to you, it's going to prompt you those times when you need to back off a little bit or when you need to kind of throw some things out or ask some questions. But trust the Spirit because it will speak to you in those moments. And you will find yourself experiencing one of the most amazing things. I mean, when you start to put this stuff into practice in your own life, living the life and following Jesus is just, there is nothing else like it on the face of this planet. It is so good. It is what you were made to do. You will never find your fulfillment anywhere else until you're embodied in following him. But after that, one of the greatest excitements is watching other people experience the same thing. And not only that, but watching God use you and to feel his presence as he's moving through you to impact somebody else's life, to be carrying out the mission that he's given you. That's what it's about. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the goodness and the riches and the, and the blessings and the experiences that come from following in the footsteps of your son, from reading his teachings, from attempting to put this stuff into practice, from from getting a, a feel of, of you working in our lives. And I ask you that as we go out and try to, to carry on and, and to tell other people of how good this is, that you would give us wisdom to take advantage of those opportunities, to be able to sense where people are at, and to be able to serve each one of them the way that your son served people when he walked here. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.